Um, my name is Keith, and I am the chaplain here at YCC, which means I'm your chaplain. So uh, it's a delight to be here, to be with you, but also to continue to look at God's word this morning. Because we're looking at this idea uh, and an encouragement to be more like Jesus. And what that's going to look like in our lives as the fruit of the Spirit that you'll find in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 23 will start to burst forward from us and from within us. And so we're talking about more joy, more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, the outward expression, if you will, of the inward reality that God is within us. You know, if you light a fire, you will get smoke. But if you light the divine spark within you, you will get these fruits of the Spirit coming out. Not a carbon footprint, but a godly footprint. A fruitful life, they often call it. So the question is, where does this fruit come from? Well, the fruit comes, as Jesus tells us, in John chapter 15, verse 5, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him or her bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying he is the true vine. He's saying it's inevitable, I suppose I should say natural, that we are going to produce the same fruit as him. And these fruits, they're not extras, they're not add-ons like a Christmas tree where we stick the decorations on for a couple of months a year and then they're gone. And these fruits can't be brought about by our willpower. We can't wake up in the morning and go, today I'm going to be more fruity. Actually, that's not a good thing. Today, I'm going to be more like Jesus. That's what we should be saying. These things should come about natural. They shouldn't just come about from us trying to strive to be something that we're not. And these fruits aren't like that lovely artificial or plastic fruit or flowers that you see. They're those copies. The authentic good fruit of the Spirit of God will come about naturally when and if we allow Jesus to fill us with his Spirit. And Jesus wants to fill you with his Spirit to the point where you are overflowing. And I am so glad that that doesn't get priced by the liter, especially at the moment. But God wants to fill you until you are overflowing. And as more of Jesus appears in your life, people will see more of that fruit in your life. I was a bit nervous when uh, I saw that uh, idea of the, uh, the vine and being in the vine. As you know, I know nothing at all about fruit and veg. You are looking at the person who was sent out to buy a cauliflower and returned with a cabbage. <laughs> it was green and it was round. 
and it was about the right sort of size. I'm not good on fruit and veg. Now, I know when Helen gets the Jamie cookbook out because she will start sending me for the strangest of things to the shops. And she knows it's going to get weird. So she's come up with the fantastic foolproof, and I do use the term foolproof wisely, of making sure it doesn't go wrong. And this is it. If we put that back up on the screen, can we go full screen? This is what I get on my phone. So she was looking for ginger. She asked me for shallots. This came through on my phone. I'm not good on fruit and veg, but even I know that if you take a lettuce off the vine, it won't grow. I'm not that bad. But Jesus says we've got to remain in him because we can't do this on our own. This is him in us. And today we are looking at love, the fruit of the spirit. Be full of love. And in one sense, to preach on love is easy. In another sense, it's quite difficult because it's such a big subject, love. You know, I love bikes. If you know me, you'll know I love bikes. If you know me, you'll know I love a barbecue. That's why I don't like fruit and veg. If you know me, I love baptisms. I love loads of things that begin with the letter B. And I also love aeroplanes. But that's not what Paul or Jesus would have been talking about. Love is a real woolly word. Um, Joyce and I were talking the other day how we have just the one word for love, whereas in the Greek there's four. And Paul is aware of this. He knows love is a woolly thing. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says this, let me show you an excellent way. I love that. If you like the film Paul and Ted, so you can see where they've got it from. This is the most excellent way, the way of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and endures all things. That's what Paul and Jesus are talking about when they talk about love. The love of God. So often what we think of as love or gets passed off as love is but a poor imitation of the love of God that we're looking at here this morning. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 13 verses 34 to 35. And this gospel reading is, is from John. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. This will be the, the last supper as we know it. It's Passover. And Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet as a demonstration of his love for them. And as a demonstration of how they are to live and lead the church when Jesus has gone. Because this is what Jesus is saying to them. He's telling them that he must leave soon. 
And so he gives his final instructions. The historians will call these the farewell discourses. And so Jesus starts with what could be the simplest, the clearest, but yet the hardest command of all. Love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, it's a command. It's a command. And I'm sure lots of you are saying, well, that's not a new command. There's love all through the Old Testament. And you would be right. You would have heard of the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, the Shema, Hebrew, the word Shema means hear. And for the devout Hebrew people, they would have prayed this prayer in the morning and they would have prayed it at the end of the day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. So love is there. And did you know there's an even more familiar command in Leviticus? Chapter 19, verse 18. The command that the Israelites are to love their neighbors as themselves. Now I'm thinking, some of you are thinking, oh, I knew that. And the rest of you are thinking, well, hang on, wasn't that Jesus? It's an Old Testament thing. So when the lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what's the most important command? Jesus doesn't make up something new. He hears and repeats what the Father has said. The most important command is to love the Lord your God. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this command, this new command to love one another, isn't new. But this is what is new. It is the depth and the manner of that love that is new. I'll say that again. The new in the command is the depth and the manner of that love. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He's given them a perfect demonstration of the manner of this love. And at the cross, which is the reason why, if you saw me go around and get the cross earlier, I suddenly realized it wasn't there out the front. The cross speaks of the depth of Jesus' love for you and for the world. And so Jesus says, this is the depth of love that I want you to display in your lives. And we shouldn't be surprised because if you think about it, Jesus' primary call to his disciples is come and follow me. Now when Jesus says that, he doesn't mean we're going to go for some lovely walks. He means follow me, live as I do, speak as I do, act as I do. Follow me. And you and I have heard that call in our own lives to follow him. Which means we are to be like him. So here comes the thing. 
Jesus washed Judas's feet. I said that slowly so that it sinks in. Jesus washed Judas's feet. He knew what was coming. He knew that uh, Judas had literally sold him out. Shortly, Judas is about to betray him with a kiss. And Jesus washes his feet. I guess we shouldn't be surprised. This is the Jesus who taught, love your enemies. Do good to them. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. You see, Jesus is love incarnate. He is love personified. Jesus is what love looks like, alive and breathing. And this isn't love as we see it today. Ours is more of a mere emotion. This is true love. For him to wash the feet of Jesus is incredibly powerful. It takes perfect love to do something like that. He washed the feet of Peter as well. He washed all their feet. And if you had been in that room, he would have washed your feet. And if Jesus can love Judas like that, how much does he love you? How many times do you hear in your head, God can't love me? Look at the stuff I do. Look how many times I fail. Look how many times I mess up. God's going to give up on me for sure. God loves you with a depth and in a way that goes beyond our understanding. The cross cries that out every single day. And Jesus would do this for Jesus, uh, for Judas. Are you finding this uncomfortable yet? The level of that love. Because I am. I find it uncomfortable when I look at how Jesus says to treat those. I don't even want to use the word enemies. We don't have enemies. What about the guy who cuts you up at the roundabout? What do you call him? I bet you don't go. And I know I don't go. Bless you. Have a great day. The road is yours. I don't mind. But Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Because that guy in the car might be cursing you. But there's a good chance you might be cursing him. This level of love is beyond anything we know. And that's the love that we have been called to love others with. I'm sure if you've heard a sermon on Jesus and washing the disciples' feet before, you will know that Jesus uh, took the role of a slave there. And he lays down his divinity, Paul says. A slave has no rights, no position, no recognition, no privilege. Love lays down its rights, its position, its privileges. It doesn't boast, it isn't proud, and it doesn't delight in evil. I've just seen these numbers here that's going 4, 34, 29. Is that countdown? Right, I need to speed up. Because <laughs> i got more to tell you. See, I wanted to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the story. Of a guy called Samuel Logan Brengel. Brengel, yeah. He was an American. 1878. He has this dream that he's going to be a bishop. He's a Methodist minister. Very successful. Huge church. Decides he's going to come to England and join the Salvation Army. 
So he does that. He gets to London, he meets William Booth, and he kind of says, here I am, I have come to help. And William Booth says, no thanks. And he says, what do you mean? I'm a successful minister, I've come all the way from America, I'm here to serve and love. And William Booth says, I don't know whether you can do that, because you've been the boss for too long. So William Booth says, I'll do you a deal. You can stay and be part of the Salvation Army, but what you've got to do is polish the boots of all the staff. And William Brengel uh, says, I haven't come all the way from America to do that. And then as he said that, in his mind, he saw Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so he says, Lord, if you can wash their feet, I can polish their boots. You see... I'm going to quote Jimi Hendrix. You won't hear this in many Christian sermons. <laughs> when the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. And boy, don't we see that today in the Ukraine. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. And so my first point was love one another. It's a command. My second point is love one another as Jesus has loved you. Guess what my third point is? You're getting it. I'm glad you're listening. This is good. Love one another. And then Jesus adds, it's the Christian distinctive. Love is to be the badge that the Christian wears. Love is to be the badge that you wear because it will identify you as a follower of Jesus. It will identify you as one who has God's spirit within you because love is what you were made for. Love is who you are. We come from love. We're made for love. When we're not loving, not only are we being disobedient, we're not being ourselves. We were made for love, therefore to not love, we're not being who we truly are, who we were created, called, and destined to be. That is not. When we don't do that, then we are no longer connected into the vine. We're living outside the vine. And Jesus says, when people love, and when people see you loving... And he's talking here in the context of a Christian context. That will be like a badge which identifies you as a follower of Jesus. Now when we think of the history of the church, it should make us cringe. How we have treated other denominations. How we have treated other parts of the church. We have literally killed in the name of Jesus. How can you start a war in the name of Jesus? How can you imprison someone in the name of Jesus? Yet we've weaponized Jesus and the gospel. We've said, this is how you do church. This is what you believe. We will love you if you think the same as us. We will love you if you do the same of us. But if you don't, I don't even know if you're Christian. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus loves wholeheartedly he loves sacrificially he loves servant-heartedly he loves with a whole lot of lees morning lee it's good to see you (laughs) jesus says this is how we are to love 
one another. There's an early manu- uh, crisp- Christian manuscript that I have. There's a guy called Tertullian. You may have heard of him. He lived in the second century and he wrote this. Look at how they love one another. For they themselves, the pagans, hate one another. And look at how they are ready to die for each other. For they themselves, the pagans, are readier to kill each other. Now I don't even know whether readier is a word. But what I do know is the truth of that statement stands. Look at how they love each other. You can identify them for the love that they have for one another. And I want to challenge you this morning. Is that how you love? Is that how we love one another? Are we here to serve one another? Are we here to love one another sacrificially, servant-heartedly, laying down our rights and loving like Jesus has loved? Would you wash another person's feet? Would you give them a lift to the hospital if they need it? Would you do their shopping? Would you lay down your life so that they can live? Because that is how Jesus has loved us. Quoting Bill and Ted again. Are we being most excellent to each other? Because that is what the excellent way of love is. We can't fake it. John 15 says that. Without him we can do nothing. And so my challenge to you this morning about loving more another can only happen when you have more of Jesus in you. Do you know him as your saviour? Have you heard that call to follow him? Have you said, here I am, Lord? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to have a time. I'm going to ask the musicians to, uh, to join me again. Hey, that's not bad. I only went two minutes over. That's good. You can, at least it doesn't flash. You probably heard about that church where uh, they used to have a kettle that had a whistle on it. And they would fill it up at the start of the sermon. And then by the time the whistle boiled and the kettle boiled and the whistle went, that was the time to finish. And the guy who, uh, the church deacon, he used to say, depends on who's preaching, depends whether we only fill the kettle half up. (laughs) But I want, uh, as the worship team so wonderfully lead us in a time of praise and worship coming before God, I think what Anna said last week was great. Let's pray for one another. And so as we worship, I want you to pray, if you would, with the person on your right or your left or in groups. And I want you to pray that you will receive more of God's love. Open your hearts, your minds, your spirits, your lives, and ask God to fill you to the point of overflowing. It's a simple command. It's a clear command. But it can be a difficult command. And so I pray that you will lay down yourself this morning for the one who laid down his life for you.